Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in the person of your son, born at Christmas time. And we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word. And I pray that you will use the words I've prepared to speak to the hearts and minds of each one of us. Amen. Well, as Fiona said, we come this morning to the last in our series of talks about Advent, a time when we celebrate the coming of, of Jesus as a baby at Christmas time, but also a time when we think of Jesus' second coming, when he will come as judge over all the world. And the emphasis throughout has been on preparation, on waiting and being ready. Because Jesus will come at a time when we least expect it. Now waiting is something we've all grown accustomed to this year. I have waited in queues around supermarket car parks to enter the shop. I have waited on station forecourts to enter the platforms. And we've all waited for a vaccine. In 2017, it was estimated that we spend approximately six months of our lives, that's between two and three days a year, depending on how long we live, waiting in queues. The average person spends 43 days of their lives on automated holds for customer services. And my guess is that this year that's only going to increase. And I don't know about you, but the frustration I feel when waiting is what I could have been doing with that time if only I weren't in a queue. The shopping could have been done in half the time, allowing me to get home and spend some time with a family. The journey might have been done in less time, allowing me time to perhaps go for a walk. Our frustration with waiting lies in the fact that we see it as time wasted, time that is unproductive and lost. It's true that in this country we do pride ourselves in our willingness to queue, but the proliferation of fast food restaurants and buy now pay later schemes shows our disinclination to wait for anything. But the lesson in the reading we've heard this morning is about what it means to wait well and how we should be using our time whilst we wait for Jesus' return. And as Kerry said last week, this is something many of us choose not to think about. It's easier to think about the birth of a cuddly baby who's come to show God's love than it is to think about the return of a king who comes in judgment. And what's unpleasant, what we, we tend to avoid, to put off, it's human nature. Procrastination, always putting off till tomorrow what needs to be done today, is something many of us are guilty of from time to time. And we only deceive ourselves if we think that there is plenty of time before our death or Jesus' return to get ourselves ready. 
We want to think that we're in control of the future. But the reality is, we are not. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next few seconds. The wisest thing to do then is to make sure we're ready for Christ's return. What does it mean then to wait well? Well, the first verse gives us a couple of clues. Firstly, in verse 35, we read, be dressed ready for service. Now, you won't hear me quoting from the King James Version very often, but this verse is translated rather magnificently in that translation. Let your loins be girded. I love that expression. Let your loins be girded. Now, no one in first century Palestine wore trousers. Men and women alike wore long robes that reached below the knee and that frankly were a trip hazard if they needed to move quickly. So if they needed to be active, if they needed to run, to climb, to walk, to work or whatever, they would take hold of the fabric at the back of the garment, pull it forward between their legs and tuck it into their belt or girdle. Hence, let your loins be girded. What this means, of course, is that we should always be ready for service. We're then told to keep our lamps burning. And this is reminiscent of the parable of the virgins that Adam spoke to a couple of weeks ago. In that story, the virgins were awaiting the return of the bridegroom who came back at midnight. Here, the master of the house is returning from a, from a wedding, perhaps as a guest. And he too is coming back at midnight or even before dawn. And just to state the obvious, there were no electric lamps in those days. It would have been absolutely pitch black. Earlier this year in, in October, David and I spent a few nights away in the village of Corfe in Dorset. And we were staying on a campsite about a mile from the village centre. And there was a track that led from the back of the site down to the village, but it was all across fields and downhill. On the Saturday night, we went out for a meal. And when we came to return back to the van, it was indeed pitch black outside. We couldn't see our hands in front of our faces and we were walking uphill. But David had brought me a really bright LED torch that was so bright it would have, I think it would have landed a jet at Gatwick. But it lit the whole of the hillside and it made me feel much more safe and secure. Now there were no powerful torches in those days either. But a lamp that they had would have looked a bit like this. I'm not sure how well you can see this on the camera at home. But their lamps would have had a bowl which would have been filled with oil and then a wick coming out of a spout. This one was given to me at a reconstruction of a first century village in Nazareth. And to keep the lamp burning, the oil needed to be replenished and the wick needed to be trimmed. And so when the master came home in the early hours, the servants needed to be ready with the lamps lit. I don't know if any of you are a fan of the crown 
but it reveals how members of the royal households, the staff at the royal households, have to be ready at all hours for the return of the Queen or any of her guests. It wouldn't do for the Queen or for the master of this house to be kept waiting on the step in the dark outside. So what does this mean for us in 2020? Well, we need to be like those servants. We need to be ready and watching, waiting with a sense of expectation. It would seem that some in the early church thought that Jesus' return would be within their lifetime. Now, history has proved that wrong. We've been waiting for 2,000 years, and still we wait. It can be hard waiting for something over a long period of time. We can lose that sense of expectation. When we wait for the gift of a child, when we wait for healing, when we wait for someone we know and love to come to know the Lord. But if we know the Lord, we need to believe in his promises. Advent reminds us that our waiting is not in vain. Jesus has come and Jesus will come again, as we say in our creeds. And we can wait on God knowing that he will always do what he has promised to do. And it's interesting that Jesus uses the picture of a wedding feast here and in that parable of the virgins. Now, when weddings were conducted in those days, they were very different to our celebrations today. And after a couple were engaged or betrothed, the groom would return to his father's house in order to prepare a room there for his bride. And only when that room was completed to the father's satisfaction would the groom go and bring his bride back. In John chapter 14 and verse 3, Jesus tells us, I go and prepare a place for you. And he, we as the church are his bride. He is preparing a place for us in his father's house. And he tells us, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus keeps his promises. When the time is right, he will return. In the meantime, we need to be ready. We need to make sure that we're investing our time in our relationship with Jesus, spending time with him, learning more about our faith, and being willing to share what we know of him with others. And I wonder... If we wait for Jesus in the same way that we wait for anyone else to visit us. If I'm expecting someone to come to the house, perhaps to visit or to pick me up, there's a window at the top of the stairs. And if I look out, I can see right to the top of the road. And so I'll wait there. And when I see their car coming down or parking outside, I'll be at the front door waiting for them. Alternatively, I'm sure we all know of the scenario where the ring at the doorbell is a signal for some frantic dashing about as clutter is tidied 
and we try and make ourselves presentable for our guests. No such last-minute dashing about will be possible for us when Jesus returns. It's a bit like another show I like to watch, MasterChef, when Greg Wallace says at the end of the cooking time, time's up. There is no time to add anything else to the plates, any more lovely little garnishes or food. Time has run out. So it will be for us. We need to be ready and watching. We need to be waiting, and that waiting is in itself an active expression of our faith. And it's not a matter of looking out of a window into the night sky to see Jesus descending on clouds bathed in light. We need to spend our time until his return well, deepening our relationship with him, witnessing to what he has done for us, and serving our neighbours to bring them to Christ. The next thing I picked up from this passage is that if indeed we do wait well, if we are ready when Jesus returns, there will be a blessing for us. Verse 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will make, the, he will make them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Don't just skip over these words because they are astounding. They are awesome. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, hands that flung stars into space, who is so pleased with our readiness and our faithfulness that he tucks his robe into his belt and serves us. It's consistent, of course, with the foot-washing Jesus. And later in this gospel, in chapter 22, Jesus interrupts a disagreement among his disciples about who is the greatest among them, as he says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves? And perhaps this too indicates what our posture should be as we wait. We should see our service of others as something that is honourable and a privilege and not demeaning. Who amongst our community can we serve? Who do we know who is isolated, lonely or grieving that we can reach out to? And do we serve with the same humility, grace and compassion that Christ shows here. What we see here to coin a phrase, as that I read when I was preparing this, is that the servant's master becomes the master servant. And as we sung earlier, he is our humble king. And this is a lesson for us all. But this passage ends with a warning about vigilance as the picture changes to that image of a thief coming to break into a house. Verse 39. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. 
About 18 months ago, I was alone in the house late one night as David had gone to Gatwick to pick our daughter up. And at one point, I went into the kitchen and I noticed that the porch light had come on. And I remember thinking that they'd got back a lot earlier than I was expecting. So I waited for them to come through the front door, but nobody came in. So at that point, I just decided to peep around the edge of the front room curtains to see perhaps there might be a a cat or a fox in the drive that had tripped the security light on. What I wasn't expecting to see was two men wearing balaclavas standing by the cab of our camper van. And there was a car obstructing the driveway with its engine running and its lights on. As I'm sure you can imagine, a shiver went down my spine. But I pulled the curtain back fully to let the light out and so they could see me standing there. And at that point, they got back into the car and drove off. When David got home, he found that they'd managed to open the door of the camper van. And I'm fairly sure that we were minutes away from having that van stolen that night. Thieves come without any warning, and so it will be when Christ returns. But it's important to stress here that his delayed and unexpected arrival isn't designed in any way to catch us out. This is not a trap or a trick designed to catch us off guard. But rather, as Peter Peter tells us, in his second letter, in chapter 3 and verse 9, and I'm reading from the message here. God isn't late with his promise, as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Jesus is waiting so that all will have an opportunity to turn to him, that all will have heard the gospel. We must not sit and wait for Christ to return, but we must live with the realisation that time is short and that in the interval we have important work to do. Amen.